Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Oceana Gold third quarter 2020 financial and operating results conference call webcast. At this time, all lines are in the listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. And if at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. Also note that the call is being recorded on Thursday, October 29th, 2020. And I would like to turn the call over to Sam Patsuki. Please go ahead, Sam. Thank you, Sylvie. Uh, good evening, good morning. Welcome to Oceana Gold's third quarter 2020 results webcast and conference call. I am Sam Pazuki, the Vice President of Investor Relations for Oceana Gold. I am joined today by Michael Holmes, President and CEO of Oceana Gold, along with Scott McQueen, Chief Financial Officer, Mark Cadzo, Chief Development Officer, and Jim Whitaker, Executive General Manager of the Hale Gold Mine. Before we proceed, note that the references in this presentation adhere to international financial reporting standards, and all financial figures are denominated in U.S. dollars unless otherwise stated. Also note that the presentation contains forward-looking statements, which by their very nature are subject to some degree of uncertainty. There can be no assurances that our forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate, as future results and events could differ materially. I refer you to disclaimers on the forward-looking statements in our presentation. I will now turn it over to Michael Holmes. Thank you, Sam, and good morning, good evening to all. I hope everybody is staying healthy, and thanks for joining us today to review our third quarter operating and financial results. Moving on to slide four, our third quarter results reflect the impact that COVID-19 pandemic has had on our business. During the quarter, we revised our 2020 outlook, which was driven by lower production expectations out of Hale. We are currently tracking to the low end of guidance at Hale, and on a consolidated level, we expect to produce approximately 300,000 ounces of gold at consequently higher oil and sustaining costs. At Hale, production and costs in the third quarter were below expectations, with positive COVID cases increasing from two to over 20 at quarter end, and with 330 workers self-isolating since the beginning of March, including 220 from the 1st of July to the 21st of October. This represents 40% of the workforce. Also year-to-date, the site has experienced a 35-year record high rainfall. These factors impacted operational productivity and prevented us from advancing mining rates as originally planned, resulting in delaying access to high-grade ore zones. Uncertainties around COVID-19 remain as cases in South Carolina continue to increase. These are real challenges for the Hale team but ones they are addressing to safeguard the health and well-being of our workforce and delivering on expectations, which include 
higher, uh, maintaining higher plant throughputs, improving recoveries, and staffing up to counteract workforce disruption due to illness and absenteeism. In New Zealand, McRae's is tracking to their full year guidance of 140 to 150,000 ounces of gold. McRae's has bounced back well from the second quarter suspensions, and the team is delivering on all fronts. On the North Island at Waihee, despite the five week development hiatus in the second quarter related to COVID restrictions, the Martha Underground is on track for first production in the second quarter of 2021. We have advanced over two kilometres of underground development during the quarter and over five kilometres year to date. Project to date, sorry. By year end, we expect to be developing approximately 900 metres per month. At a total company level, our financial results are consistent with underlying operational performance and broadly in line quarter on quarter. A higher gold price helped to offset generally lower gold sales as a result of no sales from Didipio and lower than expected gold sales from Hale in the third quarter. Quarter on quarter, adjusted EBITDA increased from strong production from McRae's and a higher gold price. Subsequent to quarter end, we made the difficult decision to permanently lay off approximately 900 full-time and contract workers at Didipio, given the inaction related to our FTAA renewal an ongoing blockade of the access road by the local government units and the minority of individuals who are ideologically opposed to mining. Our net loss of $154 million year to date and $97 million in the third quarter reflects the pre-tax impairment charge of $80 million related to the carrying value of the DPO. Our third quarter adjusted net loss of 20. 4.9 million resulted in an earnings per share of negative four cents, which was flat quarter on quarter. Cash flow per share was 11 cents year to date and two cents in the third quarter, excluding the gold pre-sales for each period. Despite the challenging year we've had, we remain committed to delivering the most value to our shareholders over the long term. And we will achieve that by progressing our dynamic organic growth pipeline and executing on our operational plans while managing the continued risks we face. During the quarter, we finalised optimisation of the Hale Underground, the Horseshoe Underground at Hale, while solidifying our long-term vision for the asset. Martha Underground at Waihe is progressing well, and Golden Point Underground at McRae's, the uh, development will begin this quarter with first production expected in late 2021. Permitting and exploration is ongoing in New Zealand, setting the stage to realise the full potential of the greater Waihe district. Turning to slide five. We have strict protocols in place at all sites to maintain the health, safety and wellbeing of our workforce. This is a top priority for us. These protocols enforced at all sites and for our corporate staff include workplace health screening, staggered shifts, rigorous cleaning practices, and working from home where practical or mandated. As at the October 22nd, the Hale operation has recorded 25 positive COVID-19 cases, including five cases in the fourth quarter thus far, 
with only one active case along with another nine presumptive positive cases under watch currently. Over 330 hail workers have had to self-isolate for two weeks at some point in time since the beginning of March, including 120 in the third quarter and 50 thus far in the fourth quarter. The New Zealand government lockdown in the second quarter successfully was successfully, uh, successfully managed the spread of the virus and to date we've had no positive COVID cases at McRae's or Waihee. To date, 30 of our workforce has tested positive for COVID-19, 25 based at Hale, four at the DPO, and one from our corporate team. Despite these challenges, our safety performance remains relatively stable quarter on quarter, resulting in the company's total recordable injury frequency rate trending to 2.9 per million hours worked. During this uncertain time, we continue to achieve strong safety results and will continue to do so through strong leadership and communication to ensure the trend continues in the right direction. Moving on to slide six, we have operated a sustainable business for the past 30 years by applying robust ESG practices across our business. And this year, we continue to advance key initiatives to keep us at the forefront of best practice globally. We are progressing our approach to climate change with the development of work plans, measures and targets related to this very pressing global issue. This includes our commitment to provide short-term targets in line with the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure by the end of 2022 and our commitment to other long-term goals. The work is already happening on how to reduce emissions across our business, particularly as we deliver our organic or organic growth plans. We are evaluating mine plans and designs within the context of using low emission fleets, particularly in our underground operation. So the innovation and focus on change is underway. We look forward to sharing more details on our climate change related work before year end. In addition, we received assurance on our first phase of compliance with the World Gold Council's responsible gold mining principles and expect to be in full compliance with these standards by the end of 2022. Our overall ESG performance has been recognised by the major ESG rating agencies and most recently we maintained our A rating with the MSCI and outperformer ranking by Sustainalytics, putting us among the elite ESG performers in the mining industry. Moving on to Hale on slide seven. Hale, with the many challenges we've faced there year to date, continues to see safety improvement. The TRIFA uh, total recordable injury frequency rate trended lower in the third quarter to 5.4 versus 6.3 in quarter two. I attribute this to the strong leadership we put in place at the operation, ingraining our safety culture that requires continuous employee engagement. The third quarter at Hale was as expected given the challenges we faced. COVID cases increased dramatically and exceptional rainfall hindered productivity. Rainfall totaled 51 inches through September, the highest amount on record for the last 35 years. Despite these impediments, the team at Hale has kept the operation moving forward in all aspects on the mine, activity and project development. 
30% of our workforce self-isolated in the third quarter due to the COVID and positive cases increased tenfold. The disruption in workforce resulted in the haul truck utilisation rates of 60% year to date, which is much lower than our expectations for the year. Quite simply, because of these factors, we were unable to advance our mining rates as expected, resulting in delayed access to the higher grade ore zones. Production was lower and costs were higher during the quarter. Mining and processing unit costs increased 26% and 23% respectively, quarter on quarter. Higher mining unit costs reflected increasing in uh, increasing headcount and training to offset absenteeism impact, a 30% increase in the cost of diesel during the quarter, and more drilling and blasting of material in the open pits as the mine plan progresses. Higher milling uh, costs reflect utilisation losses from wet in-circuit material, plus a three-day plan maintenance shutdown, which was brought forward from October. Quarter on quarter, we had quite a bit of noise, but year on year, there is a trend of improvement across the board. 2020 year-to-date figures over 2019 results have shown significant improvements in total material mined, ore mining increasing, mill feed increasing, recoveries improving and costs improving. We're on the right path at Hale and despite the detour of 2020, we have not lost sight of the long-term potential of the asset. Turning to slide eight, here you'll see proof of the points related to the challenges we faced in the third quarter and continue to manage at Hale. The reality is that the Carolinas continue to experience record excessive rainfall. And although we've had factored in rain when establishing our budgets and guidance, it is a variable that we cannot predict. Despite the rainfall, take note that we are moving more of South Carolina than ever averaging 3.3 million tonnes per month since the beginning of this year. Despite receiving more rainfall than ever, we've experienced since the beginning of the operations. We continue to work through expanding the pits and mining through the clays and saprolites to get to the harder rock, which we expect will improve productivity independent of weather events. Concurrently, we've been successful at reducing total turnover to less than 25% attributable to better recruiting practices and employee targeting as well as on-the-job training. We're also increasing staffing levels to mitigate and manage absenteeism from COVID and turnover. COVID-19 remains a challenge for us as cases in South Carolina continue to escalate. But with our strict protocols in place, we have prevented the spread at site thus far. Notwithstanding the continued risk associated with the pandemic, we expect continual improvement from the team at Hale. Turning to slide nine at McRae's, during the third quarter, McRae's operation reported two reportable injuries, bringing the year to date total to three. The resulting total recordable injury frequency rate was 2.3 per million hours worked. The operation continues to see a significant reduction in the number and severity of injuries as compared to last year. In the third quarter, McRae's produced approximately 35,000 ounces of gold and increased quarter on quarter as we resumed full-scale mining and processing post-government-imposed COVID-19 restrictions in quarter two. Open pit and underground mining costs generally increased quarter on quarter with the resumption of normal operations during the quarter relative to quarter two. 
Processing costs also increased quarter on quarter due to planned maintenance shutdown completed during the quarter. All in sustaining costs of $14.82 per ounce sold were noticeably up quarter on quarter, reflecting the resumption of the pre-stripping activities relative to quarter two and increased sustaining capital spend related to a public road realignment project. The road realignment project is imperative to facilitate the mine life extension to 2028 that was shared as part of our updated technical report. We expect McRae's to produce over 1 million ounces at an all-in sustaining cost of approximately $1,000 per ounce sold over the next eight years. The development of the Golden Point Underground and additional open pit opportunities at Deepdale, Innes Mills and Gaytan have increased the mine life. We expect to invest approximately $15 million to develop the Golden Point Underground which effectively replaces the Fraser's underground. And we will invest an additional $30 million annually in sustaining capital with the open pit expansions. For 2020, McRae's is tracking comfortably within the full year production guidance of 140 to 150,000 ounces of gold. We continue to expect the quarter to be the highest quarter of production at the lowest uh, corresponding all in sustaining costs particularly as sustaining capital investments taper off. Moving on to slide 10 and why he recorded zero injuries during the quarter and uh, it's maintaining its total injury, um, total recordable injury frequency rate relative to quarter two. Development of the Martha Underground continues to progress on budget on schedule for the full year despite the temporary containment in the second quarter due to COVID-19 related restrictions. With total advance rates continuing to increase and at the end of quarter three, we completed 2.2 kilometres of underground development. First production of staple from Martha Underground is tracking to the second quarter of 2021 uh, and that will be supplemented with stockpile development ore as we, progress, as we advance the project. Looking ahead, the processing plant, which was shut down in February after completion of stoke mining at Carenzo, will resume batch processing this quarter with ore from narrow vein mining in the upper Carenzo and Lewis veins. We're, um, we're expecting 7,000 to 8,000 ounces of gold production from Waihee in the fourth quarter, bringing total production to approximately 20,000 ounces of gold this year. Moving on to slide 11 and DiPio. Our focus at DiPio is on lifting the operating restraints at the mine and renewing the FTAA. During the third quarter, the community of DiPio held a general assembly on September 10th and 400 community members participated representing the majority of the DiPio families. The general assembly passed resolutions supporting the resumption of free travel for DiPio mine supplies and product, effectively supporting the removal of the blockade and requested that the DPO Council, which has been active in establishing and maintaining the blockade, support these resolutions. To date, the resolutions of the General Assembly have been opposed by the local leader and his coalition on the DPO Council. And as such, the blockade remains in place. Despite the efforts of the General Assembly, the Mayor and the Municipal Council, agreement to remove the blockade and the anti-mining activists manning the blockade could not be achieved. As a result, and in accordance with the Philippine labor laws, we terminated the, the employment of 496 employees 
and 400 contractors on the 13th of October. This is a very disappointing outcome for us and most especially our dedicated and skilled Filipino workforce, as well as the broader barangay. The DPO is a significant source of jobs, social development, taxes and revenues that we believe will be critical in contributing to the Philippines post-COVID-19 recovery. With the permanent layoff of the majority of the workforce, our focus has been turned to transitioning the DPO to a state of operational standby. Our expected timeline for resumption to full operations has now extended to up to 12 months, as it would take considerable time and effort to rehire and retrain our highly skilled Philippine workforce. We continue to seek temporary injunction against the governor's order restraining the operations. We have received word that our appeal to the Court of Appeals for temporary injunction has been denied and we are currently evaluating the option to appeal this decision to the Supreme Court. Concurrently, we remain in dialogue with the appropriate representatives at the national level on the renewed status, and currently our understanding is the FTAA remains with the Office of the President for approval, but we do not have visibility on a timeline for action from the President. I will now turn the presentation over to Scott to take you through our financial results. Thank you, Michael, and hello, everyone. The next few slides, as Michael said, will summarise our third quarter financial results. Turning to slide 12, which provides a snapshot of our balance sheet. As noted, as at 30 September, our cash balance was 127 million, while our net debt stood at 187 million. We have been actively managing our liquidity position for some time in response to the suspension of operations at the DIPIO, as well as the planned production pause at Waihee. This has included debt amendments late last year, the sale of our interests in GSV in Q1, and the gold pre-sale arrangements executed to better align our near-term operating cash flow profile with our 2020 capital investment plans. Our 2020 plan included a strengthening operating cash flow consistent with increasing mine grades at both Hale and McRae's across the third quarter and even more so into the fourth quarter. However, the five-week COVID shutdown at McRae's impacted mining progress, and in doing so, delayed access to some higher grade zones in the context of the third quarter. Hale has experienced similar timing challenges, with the management of COVID resulting in increased workforce absenteeism due to isolations and case management. Again, this contributed to reducing mining productivity and delayed access to higher grade zones in the third quarter. While we have proactively managed the material impact these short-term challenges have had on liquidity, and we expect improved performance in the fourth quarter, the key to realising the value with OGC is not just managing these short-term risks, but at the same time ensuring we can commit to delivering the significant organic growth projects in our portfolio despite these risks. To achieve these goals, we felt additional equity was the best path given the increased risk over the DPO timing, while also considering the significant capital investment commitments required to bring these projects to fruition over the next few years. The equity raised announced in September was completed this month, and as noted, total 81.6 million common shares issued for net proceeds of approximately 122.4 million. The completed transaction included the exercise of an over allotment option of 8.6 million shares. 
As previously advised, the bulk of the proceeds are earmarked to underpin the Horseshoe Underground Mine Development at Hale, development of opportunities in the Waihee District, and importantly, also ongoing exploration to further enhance the value already evident in the Waihee region. While we continue to face uncertainty over the trajectory of COVID in the US and broader economic risks remain, we believe we can now move forward with confidence and commitment to delivering operational performance and these significant value-enhancing growth projects while at the same time retaining their full value and optionality in the hands of the shareholders. Moving to slide 13 and the financial results summary. The overall third quarter result was a net loss of 97 million, which included an impairment charge of 80 million related to Didipio. This followed the announcement of the planned workforce terminations in the third quarter, first tranche of which occurred in mid-October. These terminations will result in an expected change in the status of the asset, as Michael has explained. Effectively, uh, as previously highlighted, the operation will transition from a state of operational readiness for rapid restart to a reduced status of operational standby. This change is expected to materially impact the timeline required to resume full operations subsequent to a resolution of blockade or a decision by the Office of the President on the renewal. As such, the carrying value of the asset was reassessed at the end of the quarter to include this change in assumption, and this reassessment resulted in an impairment charge as included in the third quarter results. Carrying value of DDPA will continue to be reviewed based on the situation on the ground and with respect to progress with the FTAA renewal. Should a positive outcome be achieved and the operational ramp up happen more quickly than anticipated, the carrying value may also be reassessed on that basis. Aside from the non-cash impairment recognised, the underlying third quarter financial results were consistent with the operating performance during the quarter and both were broadly consistent with the previous quarter. The year-on-year -year reduction in both EBITDA and revenue largely reflects the lower gold production and sales at Didipio but also the planned production pause at Waihi, where there has been no production in the second and third quarters. A marginally higher average gold price realised, combined with stronger production quarter from McRae's, effectively offset the small reduction seen at Hale. The adjusted third quarter result, excluding unrealised gains and hedge gains and the impairment charge, was a loss of 24.9 million, or negative four cents per share fully diluted. On a Quarter-on-quarter -quarter basis, EBITDA was largely comparable. The adjusted EPS improved by one cent per share, and the cash flow per share before working capital movements was flat at two cents, bringing the year-to-date total to 11 cents per share. Generally, our financial outlook for the final quarter is materially stronger, based on higher production from both McRae's and Hale, combined with the restart of the plant at Waihee to batch process accumulated narrow-vein ore stocks. Based on current gold prices and this improved production outlook, we are targeting a return to underlying profitability in the fourth quarter. As per the cash flow summary at the bottom of the slide, year-to-date operating cash flow has increased due to the receipt of $155 million from the previously announced gold pre-sales, which totaled 88,000 ounces. 48,000 ounces are due for delivery in 2020, with the remaining 40,000 for delivery in Q2 2021. During the third quarter, the first 12,000 ounces due this year were delivered. The remaining 36 
will be delivered in the fourth quarter. The year-to-date investing cash flows reflect increased capital investment for growth projects, partly offset, offset by proceeds from the sale of our GSV investment earlier in the year. The quarter-on-quarter -quarter increase in investing cash flow largely reflects increased pre-stripping activities and growth capital at Hale. Cash used in financing of $6 million reflects finance lease repayments with our debt facilities unchanged during the quarter. Turning to slide 14, which provides some additional detail on the capital expenditure for the quarter. As outlined at the top of the table, total capital expenditure was approximately $82 million, a 50% increase on the prior quarter. Just under half of the quarter's capital spend is attributable to increased capital investments at Hale, where major works included the completion of the second TSF wall lift, commencement of work on a third lift, plus heavy earthworks related to PAG cell construction. Hale also saw higher pre-strip consistent with the mine plan. The balance was split equally between McRae's and Waihee, both approximately 20 million each. At McRae's, sustaining capital increased with a full quarter of mining, including ongoing pre-strip at Coronation North Stage 4, plus the road realignment project being a key feature in the quarter. Why he included the continued development at Martha Underground, plus increased exploration spend covering both Martha and WKP. I'll, I will now turn it back over to Michael to discuss our exciting organic growth pipeline further. Thank you, Scott. Moving on to slide 15, during the third quarter, we delivered a comprehensive update of our exciting portfolio with the finalisation of the technical reports for our operating assets. The results demonstrate real value over the long term, and we believe delivering our dynamic organic growth pipeline is critical to creating shareholder value. The future of Oceana Gold is in two top-tier jurisdictions, the Americas and New Zealand. Beginning with the growth in the Americas, we finalised the optimisation of the Horseshoe Underground at Hale in the third quarter and solidified our view of the asset's long-term potential. We see an exciting underground future at Hale, supplementing the open pit operations, and it is our desire through the drill bit to continue to increase the life of the underground project. We envision Hale as a 200,000 plus ounce producer at a sub $900 uh, per ounce all in sustaining costs. And the near-term investment in waste storage facilities supports this vision and generates active life of mine free cash flows and activates. The company is in the final stages of the supplementary environmental impact study um, statement process to expand the HAL operation. The SEIS facilitates continued development of the existing HAL footprint, expansion of the TSS and waste dumps, and a commitment of the mining from the underground horseshoe mine. To date, there have been no objections by any stakeholder group to the SEIS, and at this stage, the company anticipates a successful record of decision and completion of the process by the first quarter of next year. The majority of exploration activities are in New Zealand where we have operated responsibly for the past 30 years, creating significant value for shareholders and socioeconomic benefits for host communities, regions, and the country. Martha Underground underpins the, great, the greater Waihee district as we currently see it. It is fully permitted, currently in development, and on track for first production 
in quarter two, 2021. As we develop the Martha Underground project, we will continue to invest in the drill bit. We believe the Waihe district represents the largest value creating opportunity we have in our portfolio and exploration is expected to continue for years to come. At McRae's, the updated 43101 technical report reflected a mine life extension to 2028 with the development of the open pit opportunities and the Golden Point Underground. Golden Point Underground is expected to replace the Fraser's Underground and extend the mine life of McRae's at production levels of 150,000 ounces to 180,000 ounces a year and all in sustaining costs of around $1,000 per ounce. We continue to expect McRae's to be a major source of free cash flow generation for many years to come. Turning to slide 16 for Hale Growth, as I stated before, the exciting future of Hale is underground. During the third quarter, we completed the optimization of the Horseshoe Underground, including pursuit of a bottom-up mining approach with the use of a cemented rock fill backfill. Portal development for the Horseshoe is expected to begin next year with the receipt of the SCIS, and first production is currently tracking for 2022 year-end. The Horseshoe Underground is one of several underground exploration targets at Hale which was recognised as part of the original due diligence. These targets stretch over one kilometre from the Horseshoe in the east to the Palomino in the southwest. In 2016, we drilled the upper portion of Horseshoe with some excellent results that have now converted to a reserve of approximately half a million ounces, along with the substantial inferred component still to be converted at depth uh, at deeper levels. Significant extensions to Horseshoe also remain to be tested as highlighted in the figure on the left with uh, 64 metres at 15 grams per, per, uh, per tonne of gold. Palomino is, was the next opportunity to be drilled with a substantial inferred resource of approximately 600,000 ounces being booked earlier this year. As part of this work, we also identified the Snake Shoe and Pisces targets with excellent drill intercepts in addition to a large conceptual target still to be tested called Aquarius. Each of these substantial opportunities will be advanced over the next several years. In addition to exploring underground, we continue to drill ahead of the open pit operations and expand opportunities at surface. Turning to slide 17, Martha Underground is advancing to first production in the second quarter of next year and is the foundation asset for a district with enormous potential. Exploration efforts year to date at Martha Underground have focused on resource definition in support of feasibility level studies currently underway. We have not fully defined the resource at Martha Underground to date, with additional areas highlighted for further drilling programs and definitions. Located 10 kilometres to the north of Waihee, we continue to believe that WKP will grow into a multi-million dollar ounce deposit and we will dedicate the drilling resources to highlight this. WKP is a major discovery with a resource of 1.1 million ounces grading between 12 and 13 grams per tonne based on only 35,000 metres of drilling. Throughout 2020, the company has been focused on step out and infill drilling of the Eastern Graben vein to further delineate the resource. Also during the third quarter, the mining permit application for WKP was approved granting us exclusive right to the WKP mineral resource. 
We look forward to continuing our robust exploration program there, along with other technical and environmental studies. Turning to slide 18, at McRae's, development of the Golden Point Underground underpins the mine life extension. Services and earthworks around the portal have already commenced, and we expect to begin portal construction for the Golden Point Underground before year end or early next year. In addition, we are progressing an open pre-feasibility study for the Round Hill Golden Point area. As part of this, an evaluation will be undertaking a comparison between, um, between the uh, underground and open pit mining options for, existing, for the existing resource. This study is expected to be completed in the first half of next year. In summary, and moving to slide 19, 2020 has been a challenging year. This is not where we expected or wanted to be. I'm sure many of you have reflected on 2020 and feel the same as we all face an unprecedented global pandemic. My team and I have had to make some challenging and courageous decisions heading into the fourth quarter. On October the 13th, we permanently laid off 496 employees and 400 contractors at the DPO which was extremely disappointing. Given the impact of COVID-19 on the Philippines, it is hard to understand. We are a responsible contractor to the national government and we can assist them on so many levels. I use the term courageous because it's not easy to terminate employment of nearly 1,000 Filipinos that I helped hire. As difficult as the process is, it is the right path for Oceana Gold. It is the right path for us to take on behalf of each of you, our shareholders. Six days after the permanent layoffs at the DPO, we closed our board deal offering. And this, was also, uh, this also was not an easy decision for us. We evaluated all options before moving forward. As we close out this year and look to the future, our approach will not falter. We will not deviate from a path that delivers the most value to our shareholders over the long term. And we believe that path means, pro means progressing our dynamic organic growth. Looking to the future, we see our most promising growth projects coming online, and we will continue to make the hard decisions to keep us on the right path to deliver enduring value. It has been a difficult year. The uncertainty of the DPO and the conditions of HAL have been challenging. However, nothing has fundamentally changed with our assets. In fact, we're accelerating our exploration focus in New Zealand and at HAL to convert resources to reserves. Better define our assets in development, and deliver the enormous potential we see today. Nothing has fundamentally changed with our team. We are operating in top tier jurisdictions with decades of experience. We have all the right ingredients for success. We have a solid plan to deliver on quality assets in top tier jurisdictions under the stewardship of good management. We expect improved performance in the fourth quarter and the key to realizing value within AGC is not just managing these short term risks, but at the same time ensuring we can commit to delivering the significant organic growth projects in our portfolio in face of these risks. We are focused on progressing our growth, which means building three underground mines, Hale, Martha and Golden Point, expanding our open pit operations and continuing to explore the greater Waihi district. We believe this translates to real value for current and prospective shareholders over the long term. 
Early next year, I look forward to sharing more details, including our path forward and our vision for the future of Oceana Gold. In the meantime, we'll be heads down, executing on the day-to-day -day and focusing on our path forward to deliver value over the long term. We are a resilient and dynamic gold miner with a strong and sustainable future ahead of us. Our organic growth pipeline is one of the best in the industry and it represents decades of opportunities for our company and my team and I look forward to delivering that value. Now back to Stan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Uh, so that concludes the formal presentation segment of the webcast. I will now turn it over to the moderator to facilitate the Q&A session. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question at this time, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. And should you decide to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by two. And if you are using a speakerphone, we do ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you do have a question. And your first question will be from Oves Habib at Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, Michael and team. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Just um, starting off at uh, Hale, based on uh, the implied production uh, needed to meet the lower end of guidance, uh, obviously Q Q4 needs to be a pretty strong quarter. Can you give us any color on how Q4 is going based on what you witnessed in October so far? Yeah, thanks, Sovais. Look, it has been um, it has been a, a challenging year, as mentioned at Hale, and we are focused on on delivering the guidance. Um, we're opening up the areas at, uh, at Snake Phase Two. We're finishing off the Red Hill Pit and uh, and mining into the uh, the Leadbetter Phase One. Uh, and so we are actually getting down into the higher grade portions. And uh, and you know, October is uh, is advancing as per the expectations. This will be a an important quarter for us. Um, and it has been the deferral of that high grade, but we're advancing uh, to the expectations to deliver that uh, the lower end of the guidance. So, in, so then, in terms of you know, uh, you know, you said that um, you know employees that are in quarantine, basically, you know, the number of quarantine in in Q3 were 160 employees, and then uh, it's come down to about 50. I mean, obviously, then utilization of equipment has moved higher, and, and has that helped kind of move material even uh, further? Yeah. So part of the actions that's been taken on site, and um, and Jim can talk a bit a bit more to this, is that we've actually, um, because of the impact of the of the absenteeism on site during the third quarter, uh, we've engaged a, a, a local uh, labour company that actually has been supplementing. The, uh, the workforce, and so we're actually using a greater pool of people to ensure that we're actually uh, moving through with the uh, the number of people on site, which improves the uh, the utilisation of the equipment. Uh, so that has improved, and that's been an action that's been taken on site um, to to mitigate the uh, the absenteeism impact of COVID. Okay, and this. This again, then, I mean, in terms of um, the amount of tons you mined, I mean, it was about 707,000 tons uh, of ore uh, at 1.69 grams per ton, and you milled uh, 864,000 tons at 1.26. Can you give us a breakdown of what tons and grade came from stockpiles and what tons and grade came from the mine material? And I'm assuming you have a high grade stockpile going into Q4. 
Yeah, look, thanks, Obey. So I'll, uh, I'll actually um, hand that question over to Jim um, with, uh, with some of the more specific sort of detail. Yeah, hi, this is Jim here. Yeah, great question. Thank you very much. And um glad to hear from you again. The um yeah, the focus is obviously as as you see, we mill more uh than the ore mined up to the mill and that uh slightly dilutes the tons. We have quite a bit of stockpile up to about a million tons at about point seven. Um that's why you see that impact. Um the plan going forward into uh this final quarter. Uh, over 70% of the material is really going to be focused on snake phase two, um, and that will be both tons and grade will be higher uh, from that area. We're also about 20% will be from Leadbetter, where we're opening up the center of the mine. Uh, the grade's slightly lower, um, but the tons, again, about half of what we're getting from snake phase two. So we've, we've really positioned ourselves into the center of the ore body, opening up the middle part um, and connecting uh, snake and red hill. Got it. And, and Jim, I mean, in anything you need to do going forward to mitigate the risk of additional wet weather going forward? I mean, is there, I mean, obviously, you know, kind of getting used to the fact that, you know, there's, there's a lot of rain in this area um, and that has been impacting your kind of mining rates um, on and off. Is there anything additional you need to do to kind of mitigate that risk? Um, currently what we're doing, we've, uh, when we were working, only in Snake and Red Hill, we were doing a lot of work in doing drop cuts off of the ramps and creating sumps uh, so we could try to channel some of the water uh, into the lowest part uh, of the pit. In uh, Leadbetter, it's a much more wider area, and uh, we found that that uh, methodology doesn't work so good. And typically what we're doing now, we're, we're pulling water out of those three areas. Uh, we're putting, them in, putting the water into mill zone, and mill zone is actually our transfer pump, uh, transfer point into the water treatment plant system. Uh, so really uh, a couple of things. One is um, active something uh, in the lower areas. Uh, having a wider area in Leadbetter also helps, but it's part of the mine design. And then the back end of the process plant, which is the water treatment plant, is very important to us to be able to manage this complete flow of water through the system from the mine into mill zone pit and then back out stream plant. I think some other uh, other actions we've taken there, Ovace, that, um, that Jim's um, uh, hasn't talked about is just some of the selection of the equipment, so uh, a larger uh, larger grading and uh, fleet to uh, to manage um, post the rain events and, and allow us a, a faster re-entry time. Right, right. I appreciate the colour on that. And just lastly, um, you know, Michael, regarding your credit facility, that's that's due by the end of 2021. Uh, are you engaged with any of your lenders to potentially push that credit facility forward? Yeah, look, Obasu, um, we've had a, a great banking group um, for uh, for a long period of time, and um, and post the equity raise, it is uh, it is an action that we're following up with Scott and the team to. Uh, to um, talk with the uh, the credit facilities and uh, and see what we can do there with regards to uh, pushing that further out. Thanks, Michael, and uh, thanks for taking my question. That's it for me. Thank you, Avash. Thank you. Next question will be from Nick Herbert at Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Hi, Michael and team. Um, a few from me, please, on uh, the DPO. Um, 
sad to see the, the layoff of, of staff there. Um, I'm just wondering, since, um, since that, has there been any perceptible change in government engagement or, or sort of not at all? It doesn't really sound like there has been any change, but maybe if you just make a, uh, a comment on that. Yeah, look, thanks, Nick. Um, through the quarter, we have had um, had numerous uh, discussions with the government. I've had discussions with the Secretary of the Department of Finance and the Executive Secretary, uh, trying to get some further colour on uh, if there is any, anything else outstanding that we're required to do um, with regards to the recommendations that the working group gave to the President uh, and trying to get a little bit more colour on, um, on what is happening with the timelines. Uh, at this point in time, um, you know the president is uh, is fairly busy with with managing COVID within the within the country, and uh, and and certainly uh, you know a lot of the uh, a lot of his uh, support staff are uh, managing that uh, that issue as well. We continue to be engaged um, with the under secretaries and the and the deputy executive secretary uh, of the office of the president. Um, as mentioned, the um, you know the, the the renewal is still with the office of the president and we're still uh, in discussions with them um, but unfortunately we just haven't been able to sort of secure you know what what some of the outstanding um you know timelines might be with regards to uh, the renewal process okay understood thanks um and then do you mind just stepping through the um the costs from here sort of the redundancy costs uh, ongoing holding costs uh, and if there, if there are any other sort of upcoming decisions points or, or, or lumpy payments that we should be aware of? Yeah, sure. So, um, so basically, uh, with, with the, the the layoffs will happen in two trances. One trance was the, the 13th of October. The second trance will be around the 12th of November. Um, the first trance was sort of a lot of the, the Filipino workforce. Uh, the second trance includes sort of the, more of the senior. Uh, the senior workforce, both Filipino and expat. So total uh, total redundancy costs are around about eight million dollars US, uh, and you'll see in the third quarter results there it was a is a uh, accrual of three point two million. Um, so that we accrued for the first trance in the uh, in the quarter three of three point two. So the remainder uh, four point seven will come through in the uh, in the fourth fourth quarter if we don't see. Um, if we don't see any uh, any advancement on the FTAA before the 13th of November, uh, ongoing cost then is just uh, around about um, to keep it in uh, in a state of operational standby and to ensure that the, the asset is uh, is um, isn't um, overrun by water. Um, the majority of the cost is in power to uh, to dewater the mine, and that's a, an, an average cost of around about 1.5 million dollars per month run rate. For ensuring that the uh, the environmental compliance, um, the security of the assets, and the security of the underground. Okay, cool. Um, so that that's pretty much covers it all. Um, okay, great. And then maybe just one for you, Scott. Um, do you mind just um, talking through what the assumptions are that underpin that um, written down value? So that sort of 540 odd million recoverable value you have there at the DPO. Does that um, assume, well, what does that assume, sort of full reserve recovery or, or sort of what, what goes into that number? Yeah, thanks, Nick. It, it's, a, it's a fairly, um, I guess, unique situation. Um, what's changed and the reason we had an impairment is probably where to start. Um, you know, we, 
Nothing's changed in respect to the renewal process. Um, we're still working through that. We're still engaged with the government, as Michael said. And what has changed materially and, and is the reason that we reassessed the carrying value was uh, the trigger being the termination of the workforce uh, and the expectation that that will um, extend the time to restart the asset. Um, now, the, the analysis around the carrying value is based on a, 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 scenario, a, a number of scenarios, which we feel is the most appropriate way to do it in this instance. Uh, and the delay that we're assuming now to, to start to generate cash flow again from the asset beyond a, a decision to restart um, is, it has a longer timeline to it, and therefore the discounting factor starts to come into it. So essentially we're using a probability weighted analysis that now has a, a longer uh, gap before we're likely to see any cash flow from the asset, and that's what's um, driving the, the carrying value assessment. And we'll continue to monitor that as we go forward, obviously, based on changes on the ground. And as I said previously, that we've got, a, we've got an assumption that the full 12 months plus some time for renewal, et cetera, is, is uh, the current view. If we, if we do better than that and we do get it up and running sooner, then that carrying value can be reassessed on that basis as well. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, and then final one, just a quick one. Um, do you mind just reminding me around the timing um, at Hale, in sort of the mining schedule, when you get through um, into that, um, well, predominant sort of harder ore zone? That, is that sort of a Q1 um, next year? Yeah, Nick, there's a, um, there's a phased approach with regards to, uh, to the opening up the Hale ore bodies. Um, you know, the ultimate pit sort of includes uh, six ore bodies, and we've sort of we've, we've opened up mill zone as we do future cutbacks with mill zone phase two. Uh, we've opened up snake one, and currently opening up snake two, uh, and opening up lead better one. So there'll be different phased approaches with regards to those zones, and that'll happen over the next you know five years. But the the idea is that with uh, uh, all sorry over the next three years. Um, but the um, the idea is that um, as we sort of open up the larger areas, Jim's explained with Leadbetter in the surface area, uh, and getting into the harder rock, we've got a lot more optionality there. And so the impact of the weather with the harder rock, as we open up the pits in in Snake Phase Two, Leadbetter Phase One, the cutbacks then uh, don't uh, won't have as much impact with regards to the uh, to the weather as we'll have alternative places to mine. But from a uh, from a mining a pure mining point of view. We'll see those, um, you know, the, the the softer materials be continued to mine to 2023. Okay, understood. Uh, thanks, guys. I'll pass it on. Thank you. Next question will be from Mike Parkin at National Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions on Hale. Uh, just flipping back to slide eight, I just wanted to. You know, you've got that line in there, 35-year monthly. Can you just remind us what the technical report kind of assumes, what your budget process? I don't think you use the 35-year average, if I recall correctly. Yeah, thanks for that, Mike. Um, I'm just trying to remember. We've basically um, um, used around about a month of, um, of rain impacts in our budgeting process. Um, a 35-year history um, basically doubles that amount of uh, impact. 
So it takes it up to uh, to around about 55 sort of days. So um, we we've historically sort of haven't looked at the at the 35 year um, you know extreme events. We've uh, we've taken the, the last sort of uh, or previous to uh, to um, 2018 and 19. has taken the last sort of um, 10 year average, which has historically been uh, around about that four to six inches a month. So we're seeing uh, we're seeing some excessive. So going forward, um, part of the process that we have done is we've sort of taken that into account. Uh, we've built some um, some additional rain affected days uh, in 2021. Um, we've reduced the total uh, amount of material mined as uh, as we've highlighted in the technical report down to 45 million tonnes from that 50 to 55 million tonnes going forward. So. Um, what we are doing is we're accounting uh, accounting for that. We haven't sort of finalised the budgeting process this year to uh, to understand you know some further sort of risks and uh, and uh, and risk mitigation around uh, around how we manage uh, the the total process and and having the call. So we'll download that towards the end of the uh, you know beginning of, of next year with uh, with our guidance reset. But um, we've certainly in the NI forty three one hundred one have positioned ourselves to actually understand that. And, uh, and and better management, but as well as um, you know the management of the impact uh, of the uh, of the rain on on certain facilities and certainly the the clays and the saprolites. Right, and if you go back kind of a, a year plus, there's a pretty dramatic improvement there on tonnage, despite you know what's clearly still rainy weather. Is that a, a function of just getting? open pits opened up but also the benefit of the new mine fleet that was coming into service around that time yeah look mike it has been uh, has been a, a, a bit of both um basically we've um we've uh you know initially to sort of pay back the pay back the uh the purchase um you know, the two areas we used were sort of little uh, little smaller pits into uh, into mill zone and then snake pit and uh, during this process we've said to uncover the ore body and unlock the value we need to move a lot more dirt um, and so we uh, we reflected on the previous fleet and then they've upgraded the fleet and basically uh, doubled the size of the fleet and hence we've been able to double the uh, double the movement and still looking for improvement on top of that okay um just looking at the other chart there, the, the 12 month rolling average employee turnover, obviously a good improvement from a year ago. If it's still sitting north of 20%, um, is it, I, I recall from past mine tours, there's a, a partial kind of drive of just a safety culture decision of management saying, you know, you're not fit to work here, kind of if you don't want to wear your safety goggles and that kind of thing. Um, is that still the case of why you know, you're north of 20%? You're still seeing you know, a bit of a safety culture unwillingness to adopt uh, the standards that you guys are trying to implement to keep your workforce safe? Or is there another dynamic that's kind of taken over as the, the dominant one causing the turnover? Uh, that that is a, a good question. I'd say, look, um, just with regards to the safety, and um, if you haven't looked at the figures uh, and the total recordable injury frequency rate improvement, um, there's certainly been, um, you know, and, and certainly a reduced turnover assists that. There's, there's been an enormous improvement, sort of, you know, from the 18s and well, 14s to 18s when we first started the project back down to now the five point. Uh, 
5.4, which is um, which has been a great improvement. So there's a, a lot more buy-in by the workforce at this point in time, um, and that's been fantastic. Um, predominantly, what we're seeing, and Jim can sort of answer a little bit more to this, is that um, is that there are a few uh, a few you know people that still aren't taking up our uh, our belief on the culture of safety. Um, and so the percentage of sort of, of employees that leave generally due to personal reasons as of, as of employees that are, um, are terminated uh, would probably, I think, be around the 50-50 uh, uh, percentage. So we still have uh, active management of people on site. Right. So adjusting for that, it's pretty, pretty kind of normal rate. Okay. Uh, that's it for me, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Next question will be from Daniel McCombie at Rossport Investment. Please go ahead. Yes, hello, Michael and everyone. A couple of questions. Um, Didipio, remind me, is there um, any, do you have any option to go to arbitration if necessary? Uh, Daniel, thanks for that. Look, it's arbitration um, in the contract, uh, uh, it is an FTAA. Uh, it is the first FTAA uh, that the government is working, or renewal that the government is working through. There are conditions within the FTAA that uh, that have uh, default and, and ability. Just remind me, Mike, what the FTA stands for? Oh, it's Financial and Technical Assistance Agreement. So basically, we're, uh, we, we provide finance and, and the technical expertise to the government to uh, extract the resources and and it's a 60-40 split after the cost of capital. So it's a, we're, we're fundamentally being a contract to the government. Um, and yes, there is, um, and with every contract, there is the ability to go to arbitration, yes. Okay, great. Um, second for Hale, maybe a, a simpler question with the, with the water issues. I guess I've not been there. Um, it sounds like it's a trickier, it's unlike most North American mines in terms of mining and in, in, in in uh, wet weather because of the saprolites. Can you maybe just explain why it's more difficult in heavy rainfall than it would be elsewhere in North America, if that's the case? Uh, okay, thank you. Look, Jim, I think Jim's living it, so I, I might sort of hand that one over yep. to Jim, just to sort of run through sort of, you know, what, what where the areas of concern are and, and how they're mitigating and managing that. Okay. But, and part of my yeah, thing is nature of rock. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely around the nature of the rock. I mean, we've been basically mining uh, or developing this site um, through initial pioneering down through the upper levels of the open pit mine, and you'll find a lot of sands, a lot of saprolites, and then a lot of, you know, compressed material. Uh, looks looks very competent, and some of it we actually have to blast, but when you start to drive trucks over it and rainfall, it just really turns into to mush. So there's a lot about just, getting through these upper layers, um, getting down to a firmer base and more competent material. Um, and that is the benefit of, of opening the, the pit up in the center, which is the lead better pit. Um, so typical conditions, as Michael mentioned, we've had to bring in uh, heavier grader equipment. We've uh, looked at ways to keep sumps active. Um, it's not typical. Uh, I've, I've worked in some very, very wet mines um, in the frontier of, uh, in the highlands of Peru. It's quite a bit different where, where the water can be trapped in long-term permanent sumps and rock and pumped out. 
uh, we're really we're mining through these benches and uh, trying to sump into them, trying to connect the sumps, and really just chasing around this perch water. So it, it is quite a bit different um, than other sites that I have seen in extremely wet conditions, um, where it's where it's quite uh, you have um, you know if you're pumping and sumps are in shape, you can readily manage the water. In this case, inhale. We spend quite a bit of time trying to chase it through these sand labs. As time goes on, um, will you and you open the pit up more? You'll be more into the base, into the um, the harder rock, and this will be uh, less of an issue. Is that a fair statement? That's correct. I think it was uh, uh, Michael brought it up previously. Um, when we look at our longer term phase plan, and we actually look at our longer term uh, pit plan, we're tracking the amounts of material in our uh, block models by sands, by saprolites, by fill materials, and also by what we call competent rock. Um, we're expecting, right now we're somewhere between say 60 to 70% competent rock. That will get up into the 80s past 2023, and then it remains fairly constant as you're down into the deeper areas of the pit. So we obviously we do expect this to improve in time. Also, Daniel, we'll, um, sorry, also, Daniel, just I was adding to that the advantage of going underground as well. And so, you know, you're looking at sort of, um, it's relatively, the competent rock is, fairly, is relatively uh, dry uh, from our ge uh, ge geological and hydrological uh, drilling. And so, um, you know, getting, getting the underground up and running and then sort of having a, a sort of a base sort of production from underground of that 90,000 ounces per year certainly uh, certainly assists um, and then for us that future is is how do we expand that underground to sort of in, continue that 90,000 tonnes uh, ounces a year of, uh, of gold production for, for greater than five years and, and match the underground uh, underground life to the open pit life and that's the potential that we see as well so that uh, that sort of decouples the weather events from the uh, from you know a, a great proportion of the underground of the mill peak. It sounds like there's a bit of a learning curve, though, just in, on the open pit, just in terms of going through this stuff, because it is, it isn't um, standard. But um, on the on the underground, um, it, the underground's obviously going to be almost 100% in the competent rock. Is that? Is that, that is correct. Yes. Yeah. Look, the, the, that. Yep. Yeah, 100% in the competent rock. That's right. Great. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And your next question will be from David Taylor at Taylor Asset Management. Please go ahead. Oh, hi there. I've got more of a statement than a, than a question, but I'd love to hear your comments um, afterwards. I, I just start off by, you know, sort of stating the obvious that the performance, I mean, this is, it's just been a complete disaster. I mean, you, you this might be one of the worst performing gold stocks in the galaxy. And, um, you know, you're, I found it frustrating your comment when somebody asked you about uh, the Dipio and what happened, and your, your response was that the president, um, you know, has more things to worry about, like COVID. And when I sort of think about, I mean, I've been a long-term shareholder, both institutionally and personally, and I, and I think about different strategies here. You know, you could have either been you know, proactive or reactive and proactive strategies in, in the Philippines could, you know, could have involved some of the things that Mick talked about in the past, like a, like a dual listing or selling a piece of the asset to a local, you know, or selling the asset outright, a local sponsorship uh, or local board members, having somebody influential on your side. You clearly didn't have the right people uh, who didn't have the year of the president's office. 
instead of being proactive, you guys were reactive, and you relied on the courts. You always believed that the Philippines was a land of courts and land of laws, but you lost at the local level. You lost at the provincial level, and now I sort of listen to what your strategy is, and your only strategy is is relying on the Supreme Court, but you've lost at every court level, which, which to me, I, I, I think that's naive, and it leads me to believe that there's more to it than um, you know than than COVID and the and the president having you know other things to worry about. I I believe that the the local governor who, who's anti-miner or is looking for a bigger piece of the pie has the ear of the president's office. And if your only strategy is relying on the Supreme Court, you're going to lose like you've lost at every single court level. So my, I guess my question is, what are your alternative strategies here other than just relying on the courts where you failed in the past? Yeah, look, thank you for that, David. And, um, you know, we are uh, exceptionally frustrated with the process. Um, the, the Court of Appeals and the um, and the, the Supreme Court process that we're looking at is really just about the injunction uh, about the barricade. So that doesn't have any impact on the FTAA. Uh, it was more about the injunction for a, a quick resolution to, uh, to the barricade. Uh, we were planning to actually pull that from the uh, from the Court of Appeals um, before the uh, the result, but um, but just due to the process, we sort of missed that window to do that. So we'll we're still considering that. Uh, we still have the major um, major appeal through the regional court, uh, basically on the validity, um, which is the initial case. So that's something that we're still going through. Um, we've got to the office of the president, and it has taken us a while. Um, and we're still with the Office of the President. So while we're still seeing positive action uh, with regards to that, we haven't had any sort of negative, uh, negative comments back and, uh, and we're still in discussions with the, uh, with the government. So we're, we're still considering you know, that as a pathway forward and we've had to make some difficult decisions with the workforce. So you know, we're not relying on the courts with regards to the FTAA, we're relying on the, the discussions with the President and the work that we've done and, and, and showing the, the, the government and the president that we're responsible, uh, responsible gold miners. And so there is still activity there. I mean, it is still the FT, first FTAA, and we're still working, uh, working with the group to, to ensure that we understand, uh, you know, there are frustrations because we're living with those frustrations every day. Uh, we understand the asset is a lot more valuable in our hands. Um, but you know, if this, uh, we have some, some, you know, some definite trigger points. To have a look at what else we need to do um, if uh, if things sort of advance or don't advance, and uh, and we'll be sort of uh, we'll be continuing to review those as we move forward. Um, but for us, um, you know, it, it has been um, the FDA has been um, you know uh, taken back down to the working group and has been recommended by all the departments, Department of Finance, to the. The, the Mines Geosciences and uh, Bureau and the uh, Department of Environmental and Natural Resources have all recommended uh, us as the, uh, as the us and the FTAA should be uh, should be rolled over but, the but same condition. You, you, you had a letter from the finance minister that says you could operate without an FTAA, and and I mean that that paper proved to be completely worthless. Yeah, no, that's uh, we had a letter from the Mines and Geosciences Bureau, not the uh, not the Department of Finance. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, well, I understand there's continued dialogue, but I guess if, they, if, they, if the president was to do something, he would have done it uh, before you were required to fire, or before you fired, uh, basically, all he let all the employees go. And, and the fact that you pulled, I understand you pulled from the appeals before there was a decision, but let's be honest, I mean, a year went by before the appeals court even 
I mean, they never even decided on, on the case. Yeah, look, that's correct, and we're, we're still, we're still, uh, you know, we're still working through um, David on it, and, and uh, you know, for, for us, it's still, it's still in the state that that um, you know, we're still talking to the the, the executive secretary and the department, uh, the executive secretary's department, um, and we're still sort of having positive engagement there, uh, and so we're still sort of, um, we're still working towards, you know, finalising the FTA and moving forward. Okay, then just my last question then, who, other than you being a bunch of Australians trying to negotiate in the Philippines, maybe you can talk about who do you have, you know, senior standing in the Filipino community that, that is working on your behalf to get the ear of the president? Yeah, so as I, we've, we've got an internal resource, uh, the, the president of OGPI in country, uh, and we're working with um, with uh, some of the congressmen and the governor of the supportive uh, province, uh, working with those uh, those two uh, or three people that have uh, that have got a long sort of standing histories and great relationships with uh, with government officials. Okay, thank you and good luck. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Uh, Operator, I do believe there's one more person uh, queued up to, to ask a question. Your next question comes from Paul Keener with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, Michael and, and team. Just just a quick one for me. Just, just on your hedging profile, could you maybe just outline your strategy there and how many ounces you plan on hedging going forward uh, in the near term? Yeah, look, thanks, Paul. We're the uh, At the moment, I think we've got around about um, 27 or 29,700 ounces hedged in New Zealand uh, at a New Zealand 2000 uh, dollar put option, um, and the rest have been the uh, the pre-sales, the two tranches of pre-sales. Uh, historically, we've hedged um, just the, the McRae's ounces, and to ensure that we have a uh, have a, a good margin as we operate with, within McRae's. Um, it has got a very low mining and uh, milling dollar per ton rate, but uh, but a lower grade. So it's really been to uh, to ensure that we get a return. Uh, and a and, uh, good margin from the hail, uh, the McRae's uh, operation. Um, we don't have, uh, you know, we don't. That's probably, that's probably the way that we look at hedging at this point in time, and we don't uh, we don't plan to sort of do any uh, any hedging uh, in the future. Uh, we have to deliver into the gold pre-sales, as Scott had mentioned, and that's sort of been delivered in this quarter, and we pushed uh, this quarter and then quarter two of next year. Yeah, great. Thanks. That's it from me. Cheers. There seem to be no further questions at this time. Please proceed. That concludes our webcast and conference call. A replay will be available on our website later today. On behalf of Michael, Scott, Mark, Jim, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. Bye for now. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call and webcast for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.